Well, we are going to be looking at Hebrews 12 this morning, verses 1 and 2. So you can open up your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, one of these ushers will gladly give one to you. It's also a gift of our church. If you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take one of those. And we'll stand for the reading of God's Word together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be seated as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Just reading it, it's what we need. I thank you for the endurance that you provide us, your children. Pray that you show us Christ this morning. Amen. Well, for most of us here today, at homes, in our desks, on our phones, we don't have a date marked out, circled on the calendar, exclamated with exclamation points and smiley faces that highlight suffering. We don't look forward to that. We don't say, oh, right, June 27th, suffering. Hardship's hard. And it's not surprising, is it? Who wants to experience those types of things, that kind of difficulty? No, we we would rather prefer not experiencing it, jettisoning it as soon as possible. Everyone agrees about this. You can just flick on our TV and see how our culture feels about it. Ads showing the great hope of retirement, freed from all the suffering of jobs that you've been working at for years. Drugs that have been legalized and alcohol so accessible to numb the pain of suffering. A host of things. This is not surprising. We're all trying to get through. But it's quite possible for many of us here today, for the sake of Christ... We have come into hard times. We've been called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We've been put on a race that can be difficult. Many of you, for trusting in Jesus, have had relationships hurt and weathered. Maybe you've suffered rejection from co-workers, scorn and laughter for your faith. Maybe you find yourself just generally weary from fighting sin and bearing burdens and all that comes with what God calls us to do. And maybe that's left you feeling like throwing in the towel, giving up, wondering if you could take another step forward. You wonder, can I finish this race that I'm on? And when we are like this, what gets us through What keeps us fighting sin when it calls out, I have a better way. I offer relief. 
What keeps us from uh, putting one foot in front of the other? What fills our heart with joy amidst the difficulty? And what fills up our confidence when we're ready to throw it off? Well, if this is you this morning, know that you're not alone. We've come to a book of the Bible that was written specifically to encourage weary Christians. Christians who had once been on fire for Christ, who suffered the loss of physical goods and others. Ones who had cherished their hope, but had now become weary and sluggish. Strong knees had become weak, strong arms had become droopy. And they were tempted, like you, to throw in the towel. The race they had begun, they too wondered if they could complete. And our text calls us today to continue to run the race. But like any long distance race, it comes with cramps and pain. We need those breaks like in a marathon where there's water, there's people cheering us on. We are all need in need of endurance. And that's what we're going to find today, encouragement for endurance. And we'll see what our author of this book puts forward for us. What's the message that we need to hear when our running comes at a cost? He points us to the great prize promised to you. And that is Jesus. The way we weary Christians endure is by looking to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit inspired this text this morning. God wants you to endure and to see Jesus. For you to be strengthened. And our text provides three ways in which that happens. One, take heart that running the race is worth it. Two, weary Christian, lay aside all that holds you back from running the race. And three, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to me at verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses, The other day I watched a video of a great marathon runner, Joan Samuelson, who had won the Boston, or had come first in the Boston Marathon. And she was walking through parts of of the track for the Boston Marathon. And behind her were a host of people. And as she was walking, she sang, this is where I had difficulty over here at this leg of the race. She says, these are parts you gotta watch out for. And she was giving them advice. And she was saying, the finish line, once you hit here, it's not far. She said to them, it was worth it. And these people were just soaking it all in. And chapter 11, this word therefore in our our text, pushes us back to the the, the chapter before. And chapter 11 functions. Those witnesses function just like Joan Samuelson did. That's why people have coined it the Hall of Faith. And as our text speaks of a race, it's really hard for those. Uh, It's really a hall of those who have run the race before us. It's like our Bible. If you think about it, it, in chapter 11, it goes from able all the way down to unknown people who have suffered years and years later. It's like God is wrapping the Bible around us. So this witness is just all-consuming, testifying, shouting out to us. In it, we find people like Abraham. Abraham suffered. Abraham had many difficulties, and one was was when God asked him to go and sacrifice his own son, through whom which the promise would come, 
And what pain we can imagine. What agony when he had to march up that mountain to sacrifice his son. But every step up that mountain was taken and sustained by faith that looked forward to something greater. A faithful God and his promises. So when Isaac asked, Father, we have the sticks. We got everything we need but the offering. Abraham can simply say, God will provide. He had assurance of things hoped for. He believed that God was faithful and nothing could prevent those promises from happening, not even death. Every person in chapter 11 came into difficulty. And while in varying degrees, the validity of God's promise and the surety of its coming, its fulfillment, rewarded, uh, and the reward is what got them through Their eyes were set on the finish line. That's why texts can say things like this. Look back with me at 11, verses 9 and 10. It says, By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And listen to this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And look again, look with me at the end of of chapter 11, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And hear this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. And one of the greatest things in this chapter is that their faith, this faith that they give us example of, was commended by God. They all would have heard the wonderful words of God saying, come into my glory. Come in, you good and faithful servant. You see, just like Joan Samuelson, this chapter is meant for us to be encouraged because it screams out from all these people, it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep going. But some might say, well, that's a bit of a pipe dream for people who are struggling and lowly. Maybe for a certain kind of people, but... Maybe not for me. Well, listen to what Moses said. If you're, if you're still in chapter 11, look with me at Moses. 23 to, through 25. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to a reward. The faith and assurance in God and what is coming fueled this heavenly longing that sustained them. Moses wouldn't take a turn to the left or right and he gave up all the privilege he had for this reward. So weary Christian, keep your eyes on the finish line. It's needed to endure. And church, this is where our Bibles take us for encouragement. This is where the writer of Hebrews takes us for encouragement. So we should do the same, should we not? When we encourage one another, is it with the word? Let's take all of us, encourage one another, and take them back to places like chapter 11 of Hebrews and show them the trustworthiness of God's promises and the testimony that is worth enduring to receive.
But now that we come to our second point in the text. We need to look to the examples, but we also need to cast off sin and hindrances. Look what our text says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance. Let us lay aside every weight. The people who heard this first would have immediately thought of the Greek athletes who before a race, knowing the endurance that was needed, knowing that it was long, would strip off their clothes. That's how important endurance was to them. They didn't want anything bringing them resistance. That's how important the race was. That's how high the need was. But it's not just for Greek athletes, nor a select few of people that have some hindrances that really need to be put aside. But rather, it's a call for the community of faith to lay aside hindrances. Did you notice how the author lumps himself in here? He says, let us lay aside these things. He too knows that he needs to be vigilant to cast off things that will hinder. As one writer put it, it's a call for the community to travel light. So let us embrace these these calls in our life, even though they might be foreign to our ears. Let's be like Moses who cast off all hindrances. I had a friend who recently told me that he was glad the Leafs lost in playoffs. All those late nights, I think he was losing sleep and could hardly function at work. So he was quite happy. So for us to run well, to run light, we need to put aside things that will hinder us, weigh us down, that will distract us from what we should be doing. And we need to be focusing on the reward, on Christ. See, these hindrances just might make faith that is assured and focused on what is coming less focused. More time looking to the horizontal than the vertical. But these these hindrances aren't necessarily specified in our text before us, nor should they be. We need to prayerfully ask God that He would reveal these to us, individual hindrances that might be ailing our lives. And these hindrances are compounded, their effect, when we're tired and weary. These hindrances can start to look like friends along the race, not like weights. Like those helpful water boosts for a marathon runner. Things that can be deceptive, deceptively offer rest. But our author says, no, don't think like that. There are weights, they are deterrents, they will slow you down. We are in a race to a finish line church and a race to Jesus and they are worth carrying on toward not when the prize uh, the prize is great this needs to be done with the right motive it can often be seen as a work oh let me throw off these hindrances look at me no we need God's grace to do all these things in the right motive it takes prayer and as one author would say holy sweat and effort training in God godliness as Paul tells Timothy, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. And even more importantly, the author directs us to sin. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. And look at it, it clings so closely. The language here helps us understand why we need to continually lay it aside and be vigilant. 
is a close companion on our race. Sin, a close companion. Its aim is entanglement. We get that. Other translations will say, let us let aside uh, sin that easily entangles us. The imagery found here in entanglement is like a runner stepping in a bog and his foot getting surrounded by mud and the long grass so that he can hardly take another foot forward. Think about sin, pride, deceitfulness, immorality, covetousness, self-centeredness, legalism. There's a whole host we could list. All aim to destroy our race and turn it into a man-centered race. And let's hear the pastoral heart here, church. Let us lay aside every sin and wait. He wants you to lay it aside for your good. God wants you to endure running to Jesus. We just, uh, and, but in general, sin actually does the opposite effect. When we think back to the fall, what did sin do? It separated us from Jesus. It placed man above Jesus and above God. Our kingdom above His. The author knows this isn't good for us. Why would we want to coddle something that in its essence wants to displace God? It's absurd to say I'm running the race and to coddle sin. It's like saying, I care about my safety. That's why I drive without a seatbelt on. This is a pastoral prodding because we do love Jesus. We do care about our safety. So these are things that are only uprooted by looking to Jesus and our faithful response. As we gaze upon Him, as we remind ourselves of why He died, we will see the ugliness of sin, the aim of sin, and how we continually need to be shedding ourselves of it, of killing it. Seeing this and knowing this will only aid our endurance and will only ever drive us to prayer. And that's the beautiful news that the book of Hebrews also provides that we have this way to run to God right into the throne room. Our prayers will be reached because of the way Christ made for us. So there we can find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. That's good news as we fight sin which clings so closely. And church, we run this race together. We run it together. Let's pray for one another. Fervently, consistently. Let us be about Christ-centered discipleship. Really get involved in each other's lives. Willing to speak truth and love. Not judging one another for these sins. But wanting to aid them in their race. Knowing the hindrances that they might trip up a brother. A hindrance for that person, your brother, your sister's greatest joy. And that's reaching the end. But now our author reveals to us more. Even this casting off of sin and looking, for, looking to the examples of others and for, running, for endurance, we need to do this all by looking to Jesus. So he says, look at me in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. So that's our third point. Fix your eyes, weary Christian, on Jesus. 
And that's what our ESV Bible says. Looking to Jesus. But listen to other translations. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Looking only at Jesus. Keep, uh, with no eyes for anyone or anything else except Jesus. We need to hear that today. Look to Jesus. We can't hear it said enough or in different ways. The runners are to look for Him for endurance to finish the, to, to finish the race. The hall of faith, all those people, that's great. They encourage. But only Christ keeps. Only Christ is the one that can keep us in the race. And only He is the who we should look to for that. For He is the goal and the prize of all those other believers. For our text says, right after looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the founder of the race and the one who perfected it. And the one who now stands as a reward for all who trust Him. He stands for all time as the central object of our faith and He's to be the continual object of our gaze. Makes me think of the Christ the Redeemer statue that stands in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Large and above the city. Hundreds of feet. It stands above, dominating the horizon. Well, I'm not sure the statue and why they put it up and who they think of Jesus to be. The picture is true. Jesus needs to be there in our lives. For He stands there in reality as the one exalted at the Father's right hand. He is the founder and our perfecter. And what does it mean that He's the founder of our faith? It means He's the originator of it. The source of it. This means the whole story of redemption. All our Bibles are founded on Him. This storyline of redemption. It's all about Christ. It's only one way of salvation. There was only one anointed promise that was going to come and fix the reality of our broken relationship with God. All that comes after, even early in our Bibles, the promises of Genesis, all that comes after that God reveals and its promises and those to who He revealed it to in previous generations was pointing to Jesus. Because it is based in Jesus. That's why Moses can say, did you hear it when we read chapter 11? That he wanted to, to, to bear the reproaches of Christ. Isn't that amazing? He looked forward to the anointed one. He knew what it was all founded upon. Hebrews takes great pains at showing us that he fulfilled the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. And the priesthood. All who look to God and place their faith in His promises. And their faith was founded upon Him. One person. One grand promise. That's why in chapter 11 it can say. And these. All these people of chapter 11. Though commended through their faith. Did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us. They should not be made perfect. Because Christ was the ultimate fulfillment. Of all that they put their faith in. Apart from Him. Any one of us, our faith is in vain. He's the founder of our faith. And He is the perfecter of our faith, church. He is the finisher of our faith, or the completer. So unlike men and women who can start something, invent something, 
but yet it's mainly brought about by others. Someone else carries it on, makes the innovations, perfects it. Think of the Wright brothers, who were the first to take flight in an airplane in 1903. That was quite a, quite a feat. Their plane looked like something our kids would make in uh, one of those little packets. Could you imagine their faces if they stood watching modern jet, uh, jet airplanes take off from an aircraft carrier? They'd just be like, but what is that? It's been perfected, but not so with our faith. They all were perfected. It was perfected by Jesus. And listen to the testimony that Hebrews gives us. It says in in chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And here it is. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The one who was, the one who all these promises were rooted in, came and brought purification for sin. He willingly left heaven. He willingly left paradise and took on flesh, left the glories that were above and stooped down in humility. He walked in our shoes. He lived our life, lived among us, and He went to the cross And His death was the perfect sacrifice for sins. He shed His blood to pay the penalty for our sins. To bear the wrath of God due our sin. And all to accomplish perfect redemption. Look at His life in verse 2. Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. What suffering, what cost, what pain He endured to bring about our salvation. We get to look to Him, to His faith, to His endurance, to how His eyes were set on something greater, a reward, a reunion with God. And so He did defeat sin with one foul swoop on the cross. He did make us a way back to God through the shedding of His own blood. And friends, that's the glorious message of Christianity that we can share to the world and to each other, that in Christ's work of redemption, it is a finished work. It is done. It's completed. It's been perfected. Looking for encouragement in this long-distance race? Look no further than the founder and finisher of your faith. To His example of faith and to His finished work. There's no other person worthier to have your faith placed on. He is worthy. You can trust Him. Don't look anywhere else. No better person to look to for an example of faith and trust and perseverance. One who had His face so set on the reality of the resurrection. Be encouraged this morning as well by looking to the reward. The text said, for the joy that was set before Jesus, He accomplished His mission. The reward, like I said, of being reunited with God, but also the reward of seeing lost sinners freed from the slavery of death 
Slavery or fear of death, free from the pain of dealing with this broken world, free of being in bondage to sin under its weight and penalty, free from having no way back to God. The joy set before Him was the victorious seat at the right hand of the throne of God. It is our faith. If our faith is founded upon Him, the reward is sure, because Christ, the Son of God, founded it and perfected it. So what's the joy that's set before you today? Are we looking in faith to what is coming? Is that filling our life with joy? Our reward will be likewise the same as those in chapter 11. Come in, you good and faithful servant. To spend the eternity with the one who has been interceding for us this day. The one who paid for our sins by taking our place on the cross. Eternity with him who died for us. Does that joy capture your heart this morning? Does that reality so permeate today that it gives you faith for what's coming? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And for the joy set before us and Christ's example, we can endure. Look to Jesus. Friends, now, let's, let's now, uh, friends, let's know Christ together. That's what it says in Ephesians. We come here as a church and we gather. And when we gather, we get to know the height and the depth and the width and the length of Christ's love for us. So we would do, we would do far worse than to almost every conversation point someone to Jesus Christ. Know the need of your brother and sister. Know the supremacy of Christ. The perfection of his sacrifice the reality that He sits today enthroned in heaven, that our faith is sure, and encourage someone with that. We are all running side by side here today. Let us be people that love the promises of God and apply them to one another. Though it's a long distance race, the Bible says our lives are like a vapor. Keep trusting Him. He is coming back. It's worth it. So what keeps us from throwing in the towel? What keeps one foot going in front of the other? What keeps us fighting sin? What keeps us enduring in the race? It's looking to Jesus. My friends, if you don't know Jesus today, it is worth sacrificing all the fleeting pleasures of this world to lay hold of Him. Whatever you're dealing with, Christ's sacrifice is sufficient I pray that you would not only see your need for Him, but that you would run to Him. And that you would join us on the race to the great reward that is Jesus Christ. Amen.